Hello and welcome to Mostly Climate. I'm Rosie Oakes. January 2023 has seen record-breaking temperatures across Europe, with areas of Switzerland and Germany recording temperatures over 20 degrees C. These are not temperatures that we usually think of when we imagine a favourite European winter pastime, skiing. Pictures in the early season didn't show the white slopes that we're used to, but instead pale green mountainsides with thin pieces running across them. Today we're going to dig into whether the ski resorts saw this coming. I'm interested to find out whether this is linked to climate change and discuss what the future of snow sports looks like. To answer some of these questions, we're joined today by Carlo Carmagnola, a snow scientist at the Snow Research Centre in Grenoble. Carlo, hi and welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Carlo, can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, I'm a snow scientist. So basically I study snow properties, uh, physical properties, especially in the Alps. And I try to see how the snow cover will change over time under the effect of climate change in the ski resorts. So how was the start of the year? Were you up in the mountains? Did you see those green slopes with the white piece across that we saw in the newspapers over here? Yeah, it's 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 very sad when you <laughs> go to a ski resort and you you find those little narrow strips of artificial snow, of machine-made snow, and all around there is just completely absence of snow. Um, so it's um it's not something completely new. So we already experienced some very bad beginning of, of the snow seasons in the Alps in the past. Uh, the, the main point to highlight is that the frequency of those bad seasons will increase over time. So we will still have very good um, snow seasons in the future and very bad as well. But the problem is that the ratio between those two extremes will change over time. So we can expect to have more and more of those uh, difficult seasons, especially in December and early January. And is that linked to rising global temperatures? Correct. So the main signal we can see from our modeling is that temperature will rise depending on the greenhouse emission scenario. Another point uh, which is interesting, in terms of precipitation, we do not see a very strong signal. So we'll not have less snow because there will be less snowfall. So we will have less snow because in practice, snow will melt faster because of the temperature. And at the same time, we will have more rainfall than snowfall because, of course, if your temperature will rise, we will have more rain than snow. So it's, it's a combined effect. So let's get started then talking about how ski resorts currently plan for the weather that's coming their way and how that changes their operations. Like you say, we've seen bad snow seasons in the past and we've seen really good snow seasons. Can you describe the typical annual operation of a resort? When do they normally open in France specifically and and when do they normally close? So during the winter season, there are different moments, different periods. So there is a phase which starts, depending on the resort, but it's mostly beginning of November. So well before the opening of the season to customers. This is a couple of months in total, and this is a very strategic period because even if customers and skiers are not yet there, the ski resorts, are, you have to prepare the slope uh, before they arrival. Most of the snowmaking, for example, production is done before the starting of the season. About 70% of the total amount of water consumed for machine-made production is consumed before Christmas. Oh, and wow. Is, I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot. And only 30%, sometimes even less, will remain for the rest of the season. What's called the reinforcement period. So when you have to add some snow for some specific slope. But of course, most of the production, as I said, is done before. 
And this, in a way, a problem because uh, in December and January and November, of course, as well, is usually the period during which you do not have sufficiently low temperatures. Then there is uh, a period in January, which is a low frequency period, low attendance period for the ski resorts because it's after uh, Christmas holidays. So during that period, they prepare the slopes for February, which is the most important month. Uh, it's called winter holidays in France. So there are about four weeks of holidays for different parts of France. And this is when ski resorts can reach about 33% of their annual income. So it's, it's a very important period, February. And then there is the end of the season, March, for some ski resorts, April or even beginning of May, when they have, of course, less customers. And so they just try to keep the slopes open as long as they can. So for each of those periods, there are different scenarios and different things they have to be done to prepare the ski slope, to conserve the slope, to groom the slopes in different ways. So it's, uh, it's, it's quite complicated. It's just, it's hidden to the customers. So nobody knows exactly if you do not know very well how it works, but there is a lot of planning and a lot of strategy which is applied. Yeah, it's definitely different than I thought it was. If you'd have asked me to guess, I would have said that a lot of natural snow falls and then they supplement it through the season. Like I would have said that, yeah, maybe they supplement most before the February holiday or the Easter holiday or something. But um, it's interesting that they make so much early on. So do you know, sure. had they started making snow this season before it got so warm in January, had they started to make the snow in December? Yeah, of course. Usually the first snow production period arrived well before the first natural snowfall. So uh, this was the case, for example, this year. Uh, most of the artificial snow production uh, has been performed before mid-December. So in, in France, we had uh, about a week of very cold temperatures, uh, the second week of December. Uh, more or less. And uh, this is when uh, most of the production have been done, uh, has been done. And and after that, the problem was that we had a warm spell uh, during mm -hmm. the rest of December. Uh, so uh, for Christmas, it was not very bad, but the end of December was extremely complicated because all snow has already melted in most of the, of the low elevation areas. So this, this is a very interesting configuration we had this year because uh, production has been made, uh, but the problem is that uh, almost the entire amount of snow produced um, will not present on the slope at the end of December. So uh, right. in practice, they've consumed some water uh, with energy costs and all of that was, uh, was lost before the end of December. So they had to produce again in January. So right now they are producing a lot because it's quite cold right now. And so they are trying to produce what they had already produced before and was completely lost. Yeah, make back what they've lost. So it sounds like the key thing for snowmaking is the low temperatures. Is that right? Yeah, there are different parameters to produce snow. First of all, of course, you have to have water. This is the main thing to have at your disposal. And water has to be especially cold. So no warmer than six degrees Celsius. So this is the main point. And then, of course, air temperature and also the humidity of the air. It's called the wet bulb temperature, which is the combination of temperature and relative humidity of the air. This is the main parameter. So most snow guns can start producing at about minus four degrees Celsius. The most recent technologies can produce snow at minus one. So this is really the main parameter. If temperatures are higher than that, you just cannot switch on your snow guns. And the other very important parameter is wind, and in particular wind speed. So even if you have sufficiently low temperatures, you, you do not want to produce if the wind speed is very high, 
because in this case you can produce snow, but it will be blown away from your slopes. Or yeah, so you don't you, want to spend the money to make snow, which will then blow to some other place. To the forest or to the ski resort close by. Or, yeah. Yeah, so it's uh, it depends on the ski resort. The, the typical threshold for wind is uh, 15 kilometers per hour. This is the maximum wind speed at which you can produce. And above that threshold, you just do not want to produce for that reason. You can have very good quality, but it is just not on the slope when you are producing. So you have to combine all those factors. You need water, uh, cold water, cold air temperature, low humidity, and low wind speed. Is there any limitation to the water source itself? So where does the water come from to make the snow? And is there ever not enough water? Yeah, it, it depends on the ski resort. So each resort has an amount of water they can consume every year. So there is, you cannot, for example, consume more water uh, if this can have an impact on the water, which is used, for example, for agriculture or for other uh, usages. So there is an amount of water which is fixed. And then each resort has a different way to uh, get that water. For example, most ski resorts uh, have artificial lakes, so they store the water during summertime or fall, and then they use it uh, all along the winter to produce the snow. Sometimes they try to get water directly on the river or the lake close by. There are a few ski resorts which get the water directly, pumping it from dams. Okay, yeah, so it sounds like it really varies from resort to resort. Correct. The, the okay. main idea is it's quite interesting because it's very easy to produce snow when you can. Uh, it, if you have a sensor of temperature, you can measure when the temperature is low, is low enough and then you can produce. So just press a button and the system will produce snow. So this is very easy and everybody can do that. The main problem is that sometimes you can produce, but it's better not to produce. For example, because our forecast will tell you that tomorrow you will have very warmer temperatures uh, and so everything you produce today will be lost tomorrow. So the main problem for um, ski resorts is to decide, uh, I will keep my, my stock of water for better times. And uh, this is complicated because, of course, if maybe better condition will never arrive or too late and so you will have no snow in Christmas. So that's why everybody produces every time they can in practice because it's better to have produced and lost what they have produced uh, than the other way around what they do not produce and so in that case they cannot make it through the Christmas period. You're also not just a snow scientist but also a ski instructor so how does it feel to ski on artificial snow versus natural snow? Can you tell the difference? Uh, in terms of quality, yes, there is a difference, especially right after production or during production itself. Artificial snow is usually wetter, so there is more liquid water inside. Uh, We're talking about a few percent of water uh, within the, the snowpack, but you, you can feel it uh, very, very strongly under your skis. So yes, there is a difference. If the resort is able to produce with very, very low temperatures, in this case, the snow will be produced in very dry conditions and the difference is lower between artificial and natural snow. But when snow is groomed, so it's, it's, uh, you have your snow cat will pass on the slope and, and mix all the layer, surface layers. In this case, it's very hard to tell the difference between artificial snow and natural snow. Even us with our micro CT, so it's a um, tool we have here in our lab to measure the snow at a very small scale and it's hard to to find a difference. Wow that's really interesting that like yeah actually once it's been groomed most people won't notice. 
Yeah, you can only notice if, for example, as I said before, you produce very low quality snow, so very wet snow. In this case, if you have refreezing during nighttime, the snow will be very hard. You will have almost a, a, an ice layer at the surface. This, of course, ski resorts try to avoid and their customers really do not like. So this is a kind of an extreme case when you produce bad snow with water inside. You work quite closely with ski resorts, so how do you communicate to them kind of uh, when the best time might be for making snow and what kind of data do you use and communicate to them? So we created a few years ago a tool. Uh, it's a web interface called ProSnow, uh, which is used uh, directly by ski resorts to anticipate the weather and snow conditions. So in practice, we do not have to tell them directly. They already have the information just looking at their interface at the software. Uh, but of course, then they have questions every time and we are in contact with them. So we have weekly phone calls and, uh, and a few times during winter, we get there to see them in person. Um, the main parameters they are looking at are the ones we have already talked about a little bit, temperature. It's, it's the main, main parameter they want to look at to know if they have to produce uh, wind speed and also a little bit snowfalls because even if it's very cold today, for example, with low humidity and low wind speed, or maybe it's not a good idea to produce if tomorrow a huge natural snowfall is expected. So they have to combine all different parameters to see if it's really very interesting to produce or not and, and when. It's really interesting because I've only ever seen it from the other side. You know, you get the chart with which slopes have been groomed and I never thought about, you know, have they made those decisions based on snow temperature or where the best area for making snow is. You kind of, like you say, you don't see this backside of it. So it's really interesting to hear the decisions that are being made and that they're making those decisions every single day. That's correct. And so they, there are different teams, usually in a ski resort, there is a team which is responsible for snowmaking. So usually depends on the size of the ski resort, of course, but just a few people can handle a very large network because it's almost uh, uh, entirely handled by software. So they just have to press a button or set the main parameters to the production and then it will start automatically. For groomer departments, it's a little bit different because, of course, you need more people to to get into the uh, the machines and to groom the slopes, basically. So the larger resorts can have up to 30 or even 40 people working on the ski slopes. And this is hidden uh, work that customer skiers are not able to see in practice because it, it happens during nighttime, but it's uh, it's essential to, to preserve the snow and to prepare the surface of the slopes. Is there a difference between artificial snow and natural snow in terms of retention of the snow? So how long that will last? It's really related to the mechanism of production. So in the clouds, if you look at natural snow, the clouds, there is condensation of water vapor uh, in forms of uh, small solid crystals of, of ice. So you go through all phases of water from liquid to vapor to solid ice uh, in the clouds. Whereas in our snow games, we skip the phase with water vapor. So we have directly a passage from water to ice. That's why the, the shapes are not the same. You can have uh, beautiful snow crystals produced by natural snowfalls, you know, snowflakes. Uh, and they are all different and they have different shapes. And uh, Whereas in the snow guns, the geometrical shape is very, very boring. If you want it, just a, a small droplet, uh, which is frozen. So it's just small uh, sphere. If you, for example, take one area which is covered with uh, artificial snow and another one which is just covered with natural snow, the difference is important in the sense that artificial snow is denser. So it's 
four to five times denser than natural snow. And this changed completely the energy balance of the area. So if you have natural snow, uh, you have a lot of air, up to 90% of air and just 10% of ice. So this does not allow the cold in the air to go through it. And so the soil remains quite warm. And that's the reason why it will melt faster. If you have artificial snow, denser, more ice, about 50% of ice. In this case, the cold in the air during nighttime especially can penetrate down very deep into the snowpack and the artificial snow will remain a little bit longer. And this will change a little bit the natural cycle of uh, the animals, for example, that can live nearby because if they are expecting to have less snow and expecting the snow melt in, in, I don't know, for example, April, they will experience that snow melt in May or even later if you have denser snow. So we can see the impact is really based on the time of melting. So I think next what we want to do is kind of think about the future. How does the future of snow sports in in Europe look like from from your opinion? Are we still going to be able to ski in Europe? Will the season shift? What are we looking at? The simple answer is uh, it depends. We cannot say the ski will be impossible in 30 years, for example, in the Alps. And we cannot say, on the other hand, that everything will be the same as it is today. Uh, it's really dependent on what areas you are looking at. The elevation is the main driver of the signal. Of course, if you are below 1500, for example, meters, it will be very, very complicated. Uh, whereas if you are at higher elevation, you, in principle, you have more snow. So it's... Um, of course, there are some general patterns we can uh, identify, but the, the most interesting study are done locally for each ski resort. So we, we study one by one, uh, taking into account the local topography. For example, the aspect is also very important. Is it the south-facing slope, is it the north-facing slope? What's the slope uh, itself? Is it mostly flat? Is it steeper? This is a huge impact on the, on the melting rate. Um, and then we also integrate in our simulations the grooming effect, so the mechanical settling, which is induced by the machines and also the mixing of the layers with the tiller, which is installed on every machine. And also, of course, artificial snow, uh, which is added to the simulation. So we, we combine all those different elements and we can tell each ski resort uh, what's the amount of snow they will have, of course, depending on the scenario, greenhouse emission scenario. And depending on the of the projects, maybe they will have in the future, for example, to extend snowmaking network to reduce it. That can have an impact. And so each resort, as I say, different. Uh, we have studied about 135 ski resorts in the last two years with our modeling chain. And of course, we have found that some of them will be in a very bad situation in 30 years. But uh, in principle, those resorts are those that already today experience very different snow conditions. So we, we never, for now, found a, a resort which will be very complicated in terms of exploitation in 30 years and which is perfectly fine today. So it's uh, it's a slow degradation of the conditions which will take place over time. So it's not a, from one day to the other, they will see a difference. And on the other hand, of course, we have resorts which are located at higher elevations and those cases are the conditions are very uh, slowly 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 degrading over time and uh, if you look at uh, 2050 uh, more or less in 30 years such resorts will have more or less the same amount of snow uh, as they have today so it's as i said very very dependent and of course also the area you're looking at if the pyrenees the northern alps southern alps or corsica or <laughs> every other uh, mountain range you can look at and it's absolutely not the same climate absolutely not the same 
So the answer is, yeah, it will be possible to ski in 2050 in the Alps, of course. Uh, in some ski resort, you will have to rely on snow making because the, the winter season will be very short if you just have uh, natural snowfalls. And some other resorts, uh, the length of the season will also be sufficiently uh, long or uh, just using natural snow. And in some resorts, even with uh, the addition of snowmaking, you will not be able to, to ensure a long enough season uh, for your customers. So every every case is basically possible. When you talk to ski resorts about this, are they concerned about climate change or are they kind of focusing on like a year-to-year basis how to keep their ski resort going? Basically, when they ask for such type of study, they are already eager to know what's uh, what's going on. And so if they come to us to have a Klimstow study, so Klimstow is the name of this uh, climate change study, studies for ski resorts, uh, yeah, they, they want to know what's going on. So they don't want to just to forget all this and to try to avoid the problem. The main, I would say, problem is that sometimes the results are not exactly what they are expecting before having this kind of study in both directions. So sometimes uh, they are expecting very good conditions in 30 years and just want to have the study to to prove that their ski resort will be exactly as it is today in 30 years from now. And usually this is not what they find. And the other way around, so sometimes they are expecting very bad conditions because, uh, of course, everybody talks about climate change. And so they are expecting that in 30 years they will be closed. Sometimes it's not the case. So the conditions are a little bit more favorable. In any case, really um, strong interest in those kind of studies, which is, uh, to me, a little bit uh, unexpected because in... In the last five years, everything has changed, at least in France, about all the studies, because we have, we have studied this climate change uh, in, in the context of ski resorts since 2014. So it's almost 10 years since we have launched these studies, and it has taken a lot of time to convince the resorts that it has some added value for them to anticipate the conditions in the future. And so at the beginning, we had to show our results and nobody was interested in practice and since a couple of years everybody comes to us to to see what's going on in the future so there is kind of a change in the mindset of the ski resorts in france to that they want to know if if the neighbor has the study the other resort wants to have the study as well to see what's going on in their particular case how much change do you find it makes which emission scenario you're on If we stick to like a lower emission scenario, maybe 4.5 or something, I don't know which ones you use, but if we stick to an emission scenario where we have reduced fossil fuel burning. Yeah, of course, there is a difference. We have three scenarios uh, taken into account in our studies. Uh, RCP 2.6 is positive scenario, and then we go all the way up to RCP 8.5 which is a very bad scenario, according to which there will be no reduction in the emissions of the greenhouse gases. So um, if you look until 2045 or 2050, it depends a little bit, but more or less 30 years from now, the impact is not very high. I mean, all scenarios are quite similar. If you really want to know what's going on and what will happen at the end of the century, uh, the impact of the scenario is huge. According to the worst scenario, as I said, RCP 8.5 from IPCC, at the end of the century, very few ski resorts in France will be open. It's a very catastrophic scenario with a complete lack of snow in most ski resorts. So in the Pyrenees, snow will be almost impossible. And in the Alps, only northern Alps in France will ensure some ski exploitation for the ski resort. If you look at the 
2.6 scenario. In this case, of course, the degradation will be present, so we will not ski exactly as we do today. Maybe some slopes will close and some areas will be skiing a little bit less than today. So in France, obviously, the ski industry is huge. So what's at stake economically if the ski industry does decline because of increasing global temperatures? Yeah, that's that's a big problem because in France, some regions close to the Alps are almost entirely dependent on the ski tourism uh, during winter. So we have about 120,000 jobs, which are only thanks to skiing. France is still the third market in the world for skiing after Austria and the US. So it's a huge market and so decline has to be anticipated. So other activities, other leisure activities has to be found to compensate for the lack of snow and skiing uh, activities. Uh, for now, there is no perfect solution to that problem. Uh, there is no other activity which can, in terms of money, in terms of income, compensate and balance what you can uh, miss from skiing uh, in the context of climate change. So they are trying to, for example, go for four season activities to have something to, to propose to the customers also in, in summertime, especially zip lines or any kind of activities you can imagine. That's all for our episode on the future of snow sports. Thanks to our guest, snow scientist Carlo Carmagnola. This has been Mostly Climate. I'm Dr. Rosie Oakes. This episode was produced by myself and Claire Nazir, and the editor is Adrian Holloway. Mostly Climate is a podcast by the UK Met Office. For the latest weather conditions where you are, download the Met Office weather app.